So again, Acts chapter 14, starting in verse 1. At Iconium, Paul and Barnabas went as usual into the Jewish synagogue. There they spoke so effectively that a great number of Jews and Greeks believed. But the Jews who refused to believe stirred up the other Gentiles and poisoned their minds against the brothers. So Paul and Barnabas spent considerable time there, speaking boldly for the Lord, who confirmed the message of his grace by enabling them to perform signs and wonders. The people of the city were divided. Some sided with the Jews, others with the apostles. There was a plot afoot among both Gentiles and Jews, together with their leaders, to mistreat them and stone them. But they found out about it and fled to the Lyconian cities of Lystra and Derbe and to the surrounding country, where they continued to preach the gospel. In Lystra there sat a man who was lame. He had been that way from birth and had never walked. He listened to Paul as he was speaking. Paul looked directly at him and saw that he had faith to be healed and called out, Stand up on your feet. At that, the man jumped up and began to walk. When the crowd saw what Paul had done, they shouted in the Lyconian language, The gods have come down to us in human form. Barnabas, they called Zeus, and Paul they called Hermes because he was the chief speaker. The priest of Zeus, whose temple was just outside the city, brought bulls and wreaths to the city gates because he had heard um, because he and the crowd wanted to offer sacrifices to them. But when the apostles, Barnabas and Paul, heard of this, they tore their clothes and rushed out into this crowd, shouting, Friends, why are you doing this? We too are only human, like you. We are bringing you good news, telling you to turn from these worthless things to the living God, who made the heavens and the earth and the sea and everything in them. In the past, he let all nations go their own way. Yet he has not left himself without testimony. He has shown kindness by giving you rain from heaven and crops in their seasons. He provides you with plenty of food and fills your hearts with joy. Even with these words, they had difficulty keeping the crowd from sacrificing to them. Then some Jews came from Antioch and Iconium and won the crowd over. They stoned Paul and dragged him outside the city, thinking he was dead. But after the disciples had gathered around him, he got up and went back into the city. The next day, he and Barnabas, Barnabas left for Derby. They preached the gospel in that city and won a large number of disciples. Then they returned to Lystra, Iconium, and Antioch, strengthening the disciples and encouraging them to remain true to the faith. We must go through many hardships to enter the kingdom of God, they said. Paul and Barnabas appointed elders for them in each church, and with prayer and fasting committed them to the Lord in whom they had put their trust. After going through Pisidia, they came into Pamphylia, and when they had preached the word in Perga, they went to Italia. From Italia, they sailed back to Antioch, where they had been committed to the grace of God for the work they had now completed. On arriving there, they gathered the church together and reported all that God had done through them and how he had opened a door of faith to the Gentiles. And they stayed there a long time with the disciples. The word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. So my friend uh, got hired at a retail company in their software department. And this company does retail online and use a very specific software to sell their products. And my friend had a lot of experience uh, with the software. And about six months into this job, he realized that there was a very serious problem with their software. That there was actually this fatal flaw with the software that opened it up to uh, uh, like identity theft and some other problems. The only problem is that this flaw was so ingrained in the software that in order to fix it, they would have to rebuild the entire software from the ground up, which would cost the company millions of dollars. Now, my friend approached management about this issue, and they agreed that it was a problem. Uh, but when they took it to their company executives, uh, 
Uh, he didn't hear anything. And in fact, pretty soon he began to hear that they didn't want to hear about this problem. And rumors began to circulate that, you know, uh, he was not pleasing management. He was not doing a good job and he was making things up. Now, some of his coworkers who had initially believed him uh, began to give him the, colder, uh, the, 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 the cold shoulder and uh, to ignore him because they were afraid of losing their own jobs. Uh, and before long, the company executives fired him. But they didn't stop there. Uh, when my friend got to his next company, he got hired, and things seemed to go really well for him. The company really liked him. They even sort of celebrated uh, his, his, how he was doing. But then the executives at the last company sent their new, employee some false, uh, new employers some false reports, and the rumors started circulating again, and he got fired from this company too. And he thought about suing, but this isn't what the Christian thing is, and so he just let it go. And now he's out of a job. But for some reason, this does not bother my friend because he celebrates what he was able to accomplish in both jobs and that he was able to point out the fatal flaw and they might be able to do something about it. He trusts that God will take care of both situations. So what do you think? If you were to look at this person and what he's been through, would you say this is a success? This person has had a successful career or perhaps a failing career, right? He got fired and chased out of multiple jobs. By external accounts, he was a failure, but then his uh, integrity was intact. He spoke the truth and he did the things that he was supposed to do. Now, I'll be honest, this is just an allegory. <laughs> this is an allegory for the Apostle Paul. So I don't, I don't have a friend who got fired, but this is a little bit of an illustration of Paul's life. Because we just read this story from Acts chapter 14, and like all these different things are happening, but you're like, well, how does all these things connect? And it connects in that Paul was called by God to preach the gospel, to preach about Jesus. He spoke the truth, and he got fired. <laughs> he got chased out of cities. He got stoned. Uh, people wanted him out of there. They didn't want to hear it. And so the question is, was he successful or was he not successful? Did he, he did the right thing, but then it didn't really seem to work out. And so today I'm going to be asking, like, was it a successful mission, what Paul set out to do and then what he did? Now, if you look all the way at the end of this chapter, after Paul's been, like, chased out of cities and celebrated in some cities and worshipped as, as Zeus, uh, it says this, and when they arrived... So this is when they, they arrived back at the place where they started the first missions trip. When they arrived and gathered the church together, they declared all that God had done with them and how he had opened a door of faith to the Gentiles. So what they're celebrating is not that they got chased out of town, but that the Gentiles, the non-Jewish Christian believers, uh, came to faith. They came to faith in Jesus. So that makes us kind of look at our own lives, doesn't it? Look at our church and our ministry and say, what makes our mission a success here at Cornerstone and, and on our front lines, those places that God has put us in our lives? Now, we have a, kind of a lot of ways that we describe our mission, but we're trying to share the love of Jesus. We're trying to help people understand him, grow in their faith and their knowledge of who God is, and then share that love with others. And so, how can we figure out if this is a success? One of the ways we can do that is by looking at what Paul and Barnabas, these first missionaries, do on their journey. So here's kind of the big events. And so instead of kind of reading the entire chapter, I just gave like the highlights. And here's a map because this is a real thing that happened in a real uh, context. 
So in the first chapter 13, uh, uh, I'll even show it here on the thing, on the screen, right? The missions journey started here. It went down to Cyprus, okay? At Cyprus, Paul confronts a magician. He, he does a miracle blinding the magician, but then a local government official believes on Cyprus. And then they sail north uh, to uh, Pisidia, to another place called Antioch, and Paul preaches there the gospel, and there's some initial interest. Even a large crowd is drawn, but then the, the Jewish people reject him, but the Gentiles believe, and the word spreads. Then the leaders of that city drive them out, and then Paul and Barnabas shake off the dust of their feet as judgment for being cast out of the city. So that's all the way up here at Antioch. So they've gone there and then up to Antioch. Uh, and so this is like a real context, a real setting, and things are happening. And you're wondering, like, is Paul a success or not? Because he's sharing the gospel, he's talking about Jesus, but then he's getting driven out of the cities. It doesn't seem very successful, but maybe it is according to God's perspective. And then we see in Acts chapter 14, they come to Iconium. So you can see it moving right there. They're going to go to Iconium, Lystra, and then Derby. They come to Iconium. They preach. <laughs> they do that a lot. And both the Jews and the Greeks believe. But then these unbelievers poison the majority. They kind of like convince everyone don't believe. And they stick it out. Paul and Barnabas stick it out for a long time. But after an attempted stoning, they leave. I'd probably leave a city too if they tried to stone me. I don't know about you. And then how about uh, a little bit later in the passage? So they get, they get chased out. They go to Lystra. And Lystra is like this small backwater town. Paul heals a cripple. <laughs> I wonder if Barnabas is like, hey, do you see how the people are responding over there? <laughs> Paul, maybe, maybe hold off on healing this guy because they see this like miracle and they think this is Zeus. This is Hermes. And they bring out like, all the, 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 the cows and like the, they start to worship them and, and bring out like wreaths and they're like excited. This is Zeus and Hermes come to visit us. And when Paul hears this, it tears his garments because this is idolatry. This is blasphemy that, that they're God. They're not the one true God. And they say, you know what? Creation testifies about the one true God. So they kind of try to meet them where they're at. They say, there is a true God. Creation is talking about that God. You need to believe in that God, not in Paul and Barnabas. Now in Lystra, there was actually a temple. There was a temple to uh, Zeus, who was like their patron god, and there was this local legend that Zeus and Hermes once descended to Lystra, to that region, disguised as human beings seeking lodging, and they, they traveled around, and though they visited a thousand homes, none took them in. And finally, there was a humble cottage of straw and reed. An, el an elderly couple lived there, and they welcomed them in, and they gave them a banquet. And so Zeus and Hermes, they transformed that humble straw and reed cottage into a great temple, appointed the husband and wife to be priests, and then they sent a flood to destroy the thousand other homes. And so you can see why the people in Lystra are like, man, we better, we better pull out the reeds and the fatted calves and make this a celebration for Zeus and Hermes because they don't want their homes to get wiped out. So, like, okay, that's, that's really fascinating. So it's like, is that a success then? Like, Paul, Paul is supposed to talk about the one true God, the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ, and, and now they're worshiping him. I would feel a little bit like a moral failure if I, if I was, like, trying to share with you about Jesus and then you start worshiping me. That would be 
completely off. And then at the final part of the chapter, they get, t- they get chased out of that town. Uh, the opposition comes, and they persuade the crowds against them. They stone Paul, but he survives. And then he goes to Derby preaching and making disciples. And then he actually returns. Paul has guts, man. He has guts. He goes to Lystra, Iconium, and Antioch. He strengthens the disciples. He encourages leadership. Uh, and he continues on his journey. Paul's an amazing individual. Apparently, according to like some early church tradition, um, so this is not from the Bible itself, but uh, I was reading it this week, that he was like a shorter guy. According to this church tradition, he was shorter. He had a unibrow. <laughs> he was bald. And he had bowed legs. So like his legs were kind of bent. I think it might, it might have been from like the stonings. And so like this was not a, like a physically impressive person, right? That He is not on the, the cover of GQ or some other magazine. He is... He is not that kind of guy. But there's something about his message. There's something about the message of Jesus Christ that does something to people. It stirs deep in their hearts. What, someone died for my sins? Someone rose again from the grave and now is king over everything? Either you love it or you hate it. (laughs) Either you bend the knee and worship or you kick because you're against it. Paul and Barnabas, they return to Antioch, they celebrate what God has done, and they stay there for a long, long time. So was it a success? This is like the very first missionary journey. And as we think about ourselves and what we've been doing, so we've been at Cornerstone for about five years, five and a half years, is what we're doing, is kind of the ministry we're doing here, is this a success? And how do we, how do we measure that? Like the, the, the typical way that churches and ministries measure success is the three B's. Buildings, budgets, and bottoms in the chairs. <laughs> you weren't expecting me to say bottoms at church, were you? There's no one here. Who heard? Just all of, all of the internet. No, it's actually building budgets and bodies. Bodies. Because we measure, we're like, man, if, if the building's looking good, and if the money is flowing, and the people are here, we must be a success, Right? And then, and then King Jesus sent COVID. He's <laughs> like, re, re, you know, review what you think makes you a success. Is it buildings, budgets, and bodies? I'm going to accidentally say bottoms now. Or is, it, or is it me? Is it like being faithful to who I am and sharing the message of Jesus Christ and trusting the results up to, up to me? Uh, I was reading an author recently who said, like, we need to stop judging things in kind of the temporary mindset to say like, I know how important this or that thing is. Instead, we need to judge things in light of eternity and, let, and really let God decide if something is a success or a failure. Let, let that be up to him. The, that, like we, we have like such a short-term understanding of what works and what doesn't. And so let, let, let's give things to God. And so instead of asking, like, what is a successful mission, I think I actually want to ask, what is a faithful mission? Like, how can we be faithful to what God is calling us to instead of trying to make what God has called us to succeed? So that just cha- changes the focus, right? Instead of saying, I'm going to make this happen, it's saying, I'm just going to try to be faithful where God has me doing what God is calling me to do. So I really think we see five principles of a faithful mission in our passage today. And the first one is just boldly sharing the gospel message, talking about Jesus, Sharing that Jesus come, came, he lived a perfect life, and he died and he rose again. 
And, and, and he has ascended. He's, that means he's like seated up in heaven on a throne. I really believe that. He's ruling over all creation. And he's transforming us. He's making us into kind of a resurrection people, right? That we're a new kind of people, a new kind of community that, that shares this message with others and is transformed by this message. And so the question is, are we actually boldly sharing the gospel message as a church? I personally do not believe that just sharing the gospel message within these four walls meets that criteria. I don't even think live streaming does because there's still like this, this out-of-body nature to live streaming, right? You're not really sharing face-to-face with people. You're not interacting with them. You're not risking being stoned. <laughs> and so we do need to share the gospel. Uh, that's one of the reasons I'm so excited about this potential Christmas Eve on the common, right? Because it does give us a chance to share the gospel in person. And that's how we can kind of do it as a church where we can come together, we can use our gifts, the worship team can sing about the gospel, the, I, can, I can preach, uh, you know, we can do the Advent. But then what about those places in our own lives, right? As our neighbors, are we, are we talking with them about Jesus or our coworkers? They need to hear Jesus too. This is why I participated in the kind of the Westford Interfaith Service. It's not because I think all faiths are equally valid. I don't. I believe that Christianity is true. But it's because I believe that they also need to hear the gospel message. And if no one else was going to share it, I was going to share it. And so we need to boldly share the gospel. It's risky. You risk getting stoned. Number two, we need to endure. We need to endure on the mission despite opposition. Uh, verses 2 through 3 say, But the unbelieving Jews stirred up the Gentiles and poisoned their minds against the brothers. So they remained there a long time, speaking boldly for the Lord. I don't know if you've ever been in a work context or a ministry context where someone has poisoned other people's minds against you, but it doesn't make for a pleasant environment, does it? Usually we leave those spaces. Instead, they endure. They endure in hardship, and they keep going because they realize sharing the gospel is more important and the opposition they're facing. And that, that just takes the Holy Spirit and, and courage. You know, and we're called to endure no matter what hardship, suffering, or trial we face. Tim Keller tells a story of two men who were convicted, sent to prison for serious crimes, and given long sentences. But the first one, his, before he entered prison, his, his uh, spouse, his wife and child, died. The other one knew that his wife and uh, child were still alive. The one that had their family die, like, they didn't make it through. A couple years in, just perished, wasted away. But the other prisoner who knew that his wife and child were alive, he persevered. He met through all the, he kept going through all the harsh, harsh conditions, through the suffering. Ten years later, he was freed and reunited with his family. I don't know if that's a true story or not, but I think it gets at this idea that like, if we have someone we know that is alive, it can help us endure. Someone we know and love and care about. And, and as Christians, we believe in the risen Savior, the Jesus Christ. So what can't we endure if Jesus has risen from the grave? We can endure any opposition. Number three, the way we are faithful is that in humility, uh, humility, we have humility in ourselves, but confidence in the Holy Spirit. Paul leaves this missionary journey and these, these, like, these incidents where he's persecuted, filled with joy and with the Holy Spirit. That's how chapter three ends. He's filled with joy in the Holy Spirit. He just got rejected, and he's happy. 
That's not usually how I respond to rejection. And yet he's, he's full of joy. So often in Christianity, I think we get comfortable kind of in that middle zone, right? Where, well, we're not having to live by faith, but we're also not really suffering, right? And I think what this passage should challenge us to do is to really risk living by faith. And there will be low moments, but there will also be high moments of getting to see God at work and do incredible things. I think, I think we don't ask God to work because it's so comfortable kind of staying in that safe middle space. We don't ask much of God, and God doesn't ask much of us. I'll just, I'll just be there. I'll be safe. But what if we were to lower our expectations for ourselves and set high expectations for God and just try to follow him? We seek the Holy Spirit. We have confidence in the Holy Spirit. This is why... This is why we need those prayer partners for our Living Waters uh, Homeless Ministry Day. Because we believe in the Holy Spirit. We have deep humility in ourselves. We'll probably mess it up. Like, you know, uh, the, uh, when we're volunteering, you know, we're not going to do it perfectly. But we don't have to do it perfectly. We don't have to speak perfectly to our neighbors, to our coworkers about Jesus. Like, we so often put that pressure on ourselves. What if we just have humility in ourselves and confidence in the Spirit? That what matters is God working on the inside, God working on the heart. Number four, seeking the kingdom, not the three Bs. (laughs) Seeking the kingdom of God, not buildings, budgets, and bodies. According to the Pew Research Center, and I'm sure there's lots of different statistics out there, but about 9% of people in Massachusetts are Protestant and evangelical. That means that maybe, you know, I I don't want to say just Protestants and just evangelicals know Jesus. This is just a measure. Um, But there are 1.6 million people living in Middlesex County. So it's 1,600,000 people. If only 9% of them have a saving relationship with Jesus, that's 150,000 people. So that means there's about a million and a half people that do not know Jesus, are not in a saving relationship with him. Are they ever going to have a chance to hear even the name of Jesus spoken? How about if we just look at Westford? 9% of Westford is about 2,000 people that know Jesus. We're a pretty small church. We've got about 75 people here. That means there's about 20,000 people in this community that don't know Jesus. Have they even heard the name of Jesus? Do we want them to even hear the name of Jesus? Are we willing to risk discomfort for them to hear the name of Jesus? So often we focus as, as like ministries on collection, right? I'm going to collect more buildings, budgets, budgets and bodies. <laughs> That's what I want to do, just collect, collect, collect. But if we, if we focus on like building the kingdom, there's plenty to go around, right? 20,000 people that don't know Jesus in Westward, we could have 50 more churches come to this town. <laughs> we could be the most churched community in Massachusetts and we probably still would not have reached everyone. So what this does is this requires us to work with other ministries, to work with other churches, to say how can we together reach out into our neighborhoods and our communities with the gospel message? And then it requires us to help each other. I was just reflecting this morning that, you know, our frontline ministry is good, but it does kind of put an emphasis on you by yourself sharing. And that's really hard to do. 
And Jesus, when he sent out the disciples, when he sent out the 72, he sent them out in pairs. He said, go together. Go as a team. Share Christ together. So how can we start to go as pairs, either as someone else in the church, uh, a mentor or a friend, or as a couple, and say, hey, we're going to talk with this person together as a couple. I don't know about you, but when, I, when Monica and I share the gospel with someone or have someone over to dinner, it just seems like it's a little bit easier when both of us are kind of praying and, and open to the Holy Spirit's leading. It's all about building the kingdom, Right? And so when someone comes to faith at another church, let's celebrate it. Who cares if it's not a part of our church? Let's celebrate what God is doing wherever he is doing it. And number five, discipleship and leadership development. Before they go home, they, they kind of return, and they, they, uh, they do discipleship, and they raise up other leaders. And it says that they were strengthening the souls of the disciples. And this isn't going to be easy. Verse 23, uh, 22 says that, saying that through many tribulations we must enter the kingdom of God. Uh, yeah, they, they made many disciples and they were raising up leaders and they were, they were focusing on what matters most, kind of pouring into others, saying, how can I help you follow Jesus? I'm suffering for Jesus. Come, <laughs> follow me. So I heard one pastor put it like this. You know, what is our definition of disciple? What's our plan for making one of those? Is our plan working? And how would we know? So what's a disciple? What's our plan for making one of those? Is our plan working? And how would we know? And I'll be honest, like, I can't do the discipleship of this church. I can help with the discipleship. I can help raise up leaders. I can pour into people. But really, this has to be an us effort, not a me effort. This has to be uh, a us together as a church community, the elders need to be raising up the next generation of elders. The deacons need to be raising up the next generation of deacons. The worship team, the children's ministry team, the youth ministry team, we each need to be raising up the next generation of the people that will be a part of those ministries. Discipleship, leadership development. And so the, here are the five principles of a faithful mission. I think we see them in our text. Bold sharing of the gospel message. We want to share Jesus on our front lines. Maybe do it together in a team and then we want to preach Jesus, not just in this building, but outside of our own four walls, whether it's through living waters or uh, Christmas on the common. Number two, we want to endure on mission despite opposition. When things get hard, keep going. The, the, the kingdom comes through tribulation. Number three, humility in selves, but confidence in the spirit. Like I, I'm going to set my expectations low for my own ability. I'm going to set my expectations really high for what God can do. Number four, seek the kingdom, not the three Bs. Let's have like this greater vision for our community, for our county, for the people that need to come to Christ Jesus for Westford. And number five, discipleship and leadership development. What's our definition of a disciple? What's our plan for making one of those? Is our plan working? How would we know? And so these are a lot of things that we can be praying about. Lord, help us to be faithful on our mission to you. Maybe there's one of these things that you can work on, and maybe one of these things your team, your ministry can say, hey, well, let's, really, let's really try to seek the kingdom, not those three Bs. Or let's really try to be humble and seek the Holy Spirit. Or let's, let's really pour into discipleship and leadership development. I think we all need to do that. And so maybe pray about that. Just pray about that. See who God might want you to raise up. And so as we look at these principles, it redefines us from trying to be successful to trying to be faithful trusting God with the results. Maybe you're here and you don't know Christ, or you're like, man, I'm not a part of this mission. 
Well, this is how God's kingdom works, right? It's not through just marketing and branding. It's through life change. It's through hearing the message of Jesus Christ and being completely transformed from the inside out. And I hope that and, and, and I hope that we'll all experience that, and that's like a continual thing. I want to know Jesus and let him change me. Let's pray. Lord, thank you for today. Thank you for the service. Thank you for this message. Help us to be a faithful church. Help us to be a faithful church. And would something in what I said resonate um, with us and our teams and our church and our ministries as we navigate doing ministry here in Westford? It's in Jesus' name I pray. Amen.